Chapter Four of Astoria or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two expeditions set on foot the Tonquin and her crew, Captain Thorne, his character, the partners and clerks, Canadian voyagers, their habits, employments, dress, character, songs, expedition of a Canadian boat and its crew by land and water, arrival at New York preparations for a sea voyage northwest braggarts underhand precautions letter of instructions in prosecuting his great scheme of commerce and colonization two expeditions were devised by mr astor one by sea the other by land the former was to carry out the people stores ammunition and merchandise requisite for establishing a fortified trading post at the mouth of the columbia river the latter, conducted by Mr. Hunt, was to proceed up the Missouri and across the Rocky Mountains to the same point, exploring a line of communication across the continent and noting the places where interior trading posts might be established. The expedition by sea is the one which comes first under consideration. A fine ship was provided, called the Tonquin, of 290 tons burden, mounting 10 guns, with a crew of 20 men she carried an assortment of merchandise for trading with the natives of the seaboard and of the interior together with the frame of a schooner to be employed in the coasting trade seeds also were provided for the cultivation of the soil and nothing was neglected for the necessary supply of the establishment the command of the ship was entrusted to jonathan thorne of new york a lieutenant in the united states navy on leave of absence he was a man of courage and firmness who had distinguished himself in our tripolitan war and from being accustomed to naval discipline was considered by mr astor as well fitted to take charge of an expedition of the kind four of the partners were to embark in the ship namely messrs mckay mcdougall david stewart and his nephew robert stewart mr mcdougall was empowered by mr astor to act as his proxy in the absence of mr hunt to vote for him and in his name on any question that might come before any meeting of the persons interested in the voyage besides the partners there were twelve clerks to go out in the ship several of them natives of canada who had some experience in the indian trade they were bound to the service of the company for five years at the rate of one hundred dollars a year payable at the expiration of the term and an annual equipment of clothing to the amount of forty dollars in case of ill conduct they were liable to forfeit their wages and be dismissed but should they acquit themselves well the confident expectation was held out to them of promotion and partnership their interests were thus to some extent identified with those of the company several artisans were likewise to sail in the ship for the supply of the colony but the most peculiar and characteristic part of this motley embarkation consisted of thirteen canadian voyageurs who had enlisted for five years as this class of functionaries will continually recur in the course of the following narrations and as they form one of those distinct and strongly marked castes or orders of people springing up in this vast continent out of geographical circumstances or the varied pursuits habitudes and origins of its population we shall sketch a few of their characteristics for the information of the reader 
the voyageurs form a kind of confraternity in the canadas like the arrieros or carriers of spain and like them are employed in long internal expeditions of travel and traffic with this difference that the arrieros travel by land the voyageurs by water the former with mules and horses the latter with bateaux and canoes the voyageurs may be said to have sprung up out of the fur trade having originally been employed by the early french merchants in their trading expeditions through the labyrinth of rivers and lakes of the boundless interior they were coeval with the couriers des bois or rangers of the woods already noticed and like them in the intervals of their long arduous and laborious expeditions were prone to pass their time in idleness and revelry about the trading posts or settlements squandering their hard earnings in heedless conviviality and rivalling their neighbors the indians in indolent indulgence and an imprudent disregard of the morrow when canada passed under british domination and the old french trading houses were broken up the voyageurs like the couriers des bois were for a time disheartened and disconsolate and with difficulty could reconcile themselves to the service of the newcomers so different in habits manners and language from their former employers by degrees however they became accustomed to the change and at length came to consider the british fur traders and especially the members of the northwest company as the legitimate lords of creation the dress of these people is generally half civilized half savage they wear a capot or surcoat made of a blanket a striped cotton shirt cloth trousers or leathern leggings moccasins of deerskin and a belt of variegated worsted from which are suspended the knife tobacco pouch and other implements their language is of the same piebald character being a french patois embroidered with indian and english words and phrases the lives of the voyageurs are passed in wild and extensive rovings in the service of individuals but more especially of the fur traders they are generally of french descent and inherit much of the gaiety and lightness of heart of their ancestors being full of anecdote and song and ever ready for the dance they inherit too a fund of civility and complacence and instead of that hardness and grossness which men in laborious life are apt to indulge towards each other they are mutually obliging and accommodating interchanging kind offices yielding each other assistance and comfort in every emergency and using the familiar appellations of cousin and brother when there is in fact no relationship their natural good-will is probably heightened by a community of adventure and hardship in their precarious and wandering life no men are more submissive to their leaders and employers more capable of enduring hardship or more good-humoured under privations never are they so happy as when on long and rough expeditions toiling up rivers or coasting lakes encamping at night on the borders gossiping round their fires and bivouacking in the open air they are dexterous boatmen vigorous and adroit with the oar and paddle and will row from morning till night without a murmur the steersman often sings an old traditionary french song with some regular burden in which they all join keeping time with their oars if at any time they flag in spirits or relax in exertion 
it is but necessary to strike up a song of the kind to put them all in fresh spirits and activity the canadian waters are vocal with these little french chansons that have been echoed from mouth to mouth and transmitted from father to son from the earliest days of the colony and it has a pleasing effect in a still golden summer evening to see a bateau gliding across the bosom of a lake and dipping its oars to the cadence of these quaint old ditties or sweeping along in full chorus on a bright sunny morning down the transparent current of one of the canada rivers but we are talking of things that are fast fading away the march of mechanical invention is driving everything poetical before it the steamboats which are fast dispelling the wildness and romance of our lakes and rivers and aiding to subdue the world into commonplace are proving as fatal to the race of the canadian voyageurs as they have been to that of the boatmen of the mississippi their glory is departed they are no longer the lords of our internal seas and the great navigators of the wilderness some of them may still occasionally be seen coasting the lower lakes with their frail barks and pitching their camps and lighting their fires upon the shores but their range is fast contracting to those remote waters and shallow and obstructed rivers unvisited by the steamboat in the course of years they will gradually disappear their songs will die away like the echoes they once awakened and the canadian voyageurs will become a forgotten race or remembered like their associates the indians among the poetical images of past times and as themes for local and romantic associations an instance of the buoyant temperament and the professional pride of these people was furnished in the gay and braggart style in which they arrived at new york to join the enterprise they were determined to regale and astonish the people of the states with the sight of a canadian boat and a canadian crew they accordingly fitted up a large but light bark canoe such as is used in the fur trade transported it in a wagon from the banks of the st lawrence to the shores of lake champlain traversed the lake in it from end to end hoisted it again in a wagon and wheeled it off to lansingburg and there launched it upon the waters of the hudson down this river they plied their course merrily on a fine summer's day making its banks resound for the first time with their old french boat songs passing by the villages with whoop and hallo so as to make the honest dutch farmers mistake them for a crew of savages in this way they swept in full song and with regular flourish of the paddle round new york in a still summer evening to the wonder and admiration of its inhabitants who had never before witnessed on their waters a nautical apparition of the kind such was the variegated band of adventurers about to embark in the tonquin on this arduous and doubtful enterprise while yet in port and on dry land in the bustle of preparation and the excitement of novelty all was sunshine and promise the canadians especially who with their constitutional vivacity have a considerable dash of the gascon were buoyant and boastful and great braggarts as to the future while all those who had been in the service of the northwest company and engaged in the indian trade plumed themselves upon their hardihood and their capacity to endure privations 
if mr astor ventured to hint at the difficulties they might have to encounter they treated them with scorn they were northwesters men seasoned to hardships who cared for neither wind nor weather they could live hard lie hard sleep hard eat dogs in a word they were ready to do and suffer anything for the good of the enterprise with all this profession of zeal and devotion mr astor was not overconfident of the stability and firm faith of these mercurial beings he had received information also that an armed brig from halifax probably at the instigation of the northwest company was hovering on the coast watching for the tonquin with the purpose of impressing the canadians on board of her as british subjects and thus interrupting the voyage it was a time of doubt and anxiety when the relations between the united states and great britain were daily assuming a more precarious aspect and verging towards that war which shortly ensued as a precautionary measure therefore he required that the voyageurs as they were about to enter into the service of an american association and to reside within the limits of the united states should take the oaths of naturalization as american citizens to this they readily agreed and shortly afterward assured him that they had actually done so it was not until after they had sailed that he discovered that they had entirely deceived him in the matter the confidence of mr astor was abused in another quarter two of the partners both of them scotchmen and recently in the service of the northwest company had misgivings as to an enterprise which might clash with the interests and establishments protected by the british flag they privately waited upon the british minister mr jackson then in new york laid open to him the whole scheme of mr astor though entrusted to them in confidence and dependent in a great measure upon secrecy at the outset for its success and inquired whether they as british subjects could lawfully engage in it the reply satisfied their scruples while the information they imparted excited the surprise and admiration of mr jackson that a private individual should have conceived and set on foot at his own risk and expense so great an enterprise this step on the part of those gentlemen was not known to mr astor until some time afterwards or it might have modified the trust and confidence reposed in them to guard against any interruption to the voyage by the armed brig said to be off the harbor mr astor applied to commodore rogers at that time commanding at new york to give the tonquin safe convoy off the coast the commodore having received from a high official source assurance of the deep interest which the government took in the enterprise sent directions to captain hull at that time cruising off the harbor in the frigate constitution to afford the tonquin the required protection when she should put to sea before the day of embarkation mr astor addressed a letter of instruction to the four partners who were to sail in the ship in this he enjoined them in the most earnest manner to cultivate harmony and unanimity 
and recommended that all differences of opinions on points connected with the objects and interests of the voyage should be discussed by the whole and decided by a majority of votes he moreover gave them a special caution as to their conduct on arriving at their destined port exhorting them to be careful to make a favourable impression upon the wild people among whom their lot and the fortunes of the enterprise would be cast if you find them kind said he as i hope you will be so to them if otherwise act with caution and forbearance and convince them that you come as friends with the same anxious forethought he wrote a letter of instructions to captain thorn in which he urged the strictest attention to the health of himself and his crew and to the promotion of good humour and harmony on board his ship to prevent any misunderstanding added he will require your particular good management his letter closed with an injunction of weariness in his intercourse with the natives a subject on which mr astor was justly sensible he could not be too earnest i must recommend you said he to be particularly careful on the coast and not to rely too much on the friendly disposition of the natives all accidents which have as yet happened there arose from too much confidence in the indians the reader will bear these instructions in mind as events will prove their wisdom and importance and the disasters which ensued in consequence of the neglect of them end of chapter four